everyone. This is episode 21 of Going Beyond Salvation. This is your host, Jess Robinson. And yes, yesterday was one of those days and I ended up not getting a podcast or a bonus episode posted like I wanted to. Um, just some things were going on and on top of you know, it had snowed in Wyoming, and so part of my drive actually Thursday morning actually was interesting. I had dry roads until I got to this one little town called Otto, Wyoming, and then it was just like I had to go 45 miles per hour because it was so covered with snow and slick, and I was slipping and sliding. <laughs> So when it came to, when I parked, I said, I am not going anywhere. And um, all my other coworkers like to stay for lunch. So I didn't have a quiet place to record. And um, so I just went ahead and took a walk outside and decided, well, and after, and I also Thursday have women's Bible study. So so and by the time I got home, it was time to spend time with my husband, and because you have to guard that. So, um, practically, um, we're continuing on in our daily reading. You know, so it's hard. You know, when you don't, when you miss a daily reading day, it's hard um, because the enemy likes to attack you at that point, and he really convicts you and. It opens up the doors for that, but I just, you know, this morning I had such a wonderful prayer time and, you know, I am just, you know, getting back in the saddle and going and not letting the enemy attack me or anything like that um, or d- discouraging me from going on, from continuing on. So we're going to start in Genesis and... Where we had originally stopped was um, was Joseph, you know, Pharaoh had these dreams and he ends up taking Joseph out of prison. And Joseph, you know, he takes a stand for God and says that it's not him that interprets dreams, but that it's God. And which was a big thing to say because Pharaoh considered him you know, Pharaoh was considered a, a God and among the people there. And so that was a huge step of faith because he could have died right there. But Pharaoh ends up telling Joseph his dream. And so we're continuing on and Joseph interprets the dream and says both of them are the same. And that it was talking about the there's going to be seven years of plentiful harvest and then seven years of famine, and that the two dip, the two dreams meant that God had made up His mind and that He was going to do that. And so, what ends up happening? Which I mean, this is interesting because you know Joseph goes one step further and he he tells Pharaoh what he needs to do that he's. That, you know, that Pharaoh needs to look for a discerning and wise man to put in charge in the land of Egypt, you know, and that he's going, that he needs to, you know, appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the the harvest of Egypt, 
during the seven years of abundance. And they're going to collect food in order to survive the seven years of famine. And so he takes it one step further, which is, you know, I, I believe it was the Holy Spirit taking over Joseph. And he was stepping out in faith and obedience and telling um, Pharaoh that, you know, what he needed to do. And, you know, he didn't know how Pharaoh was going to react um, he didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And, um, he just steps out in faith. And that's the way, you know, I think as believers, especially new believers, when you start really having a relationship with the Lord and you really start getting into the word and understanding the word, you know, the Lord is going to put people in our lives that, you know, and we live in such an ungodly, you know, culture we're living in such a secular culture now and we're going to come across them in the grocery store you know in our own families and our in our workplaces and you know he's going to put people in our lives that you know at some point they're going to actually you know especially if you're you're living out your faith and they're curious about what you believe or whatever it's a step of faith to share what you believe or if you're t giving them advice on something, you know, yeah, it's, sometimes it's going to be a step of faith because especially if you have to tell them like something that you, th you know for sure they're not going to like or agree with because of the lifestyle that they're living in. And, you know, you have to, but it's a, a step of faith and, you know, the Lord's going to, you know, he rewards those who are faithful and obedient. And, um, you know, and we see, you know, that Pharaoh ends up saying, you're, you're the guy that I'm going to put in charge. And, you know, so he puts Joseph in charge and he gives him his signet ring. And signet rings are very important, especially in history, because, um, how they would, you know, a lot of leaders in that time, how they would actually, how laws were taken care of, you know, like we see, you know, our president, the, you know, our president and leaders today, they sign the bill into law. And that's similar to a signet ring is when a law was made or decisions were made, that signet ring from like a king or like Pharaoh that was the final say. And it was like a ring that they, it had like a symbol on it, you know, and the words of who it was. And generally a lot of times, and it would actually, they would, you know, have wax that was melted and that's, and it would be, you know, stamped with that seal and on the signet ring. So, gen you know, that ring is important because practically he's giving Joseph the authority to make the decisions. And, you know, the only thing he, you know, he's not the head, head Pharaoh, but other than that, you know, he has a say in this of what's going on. And, you know, like we see, um, you know, as I'm doing this, you know, we're doing the, the Bible, 
our Daniel Bible study and, um, you know, we see with Daniel, it's the same thing. He interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Nebuchadnezzar puts him in this position of power, you know, and he's there till King Cyrus and which means, you know, like we just know that God didn't take Daniel away from the ungodly people. He put him in a place of position and influence to to live out his faith but also to you know so that others can see and we see Joseph as he's been living out his faith and it it hasn't been easy for him you know he was in slavery and then he went to prison because you know because a lie was told about him and you know he was wrongly accused and we see that, however, God, you know, he gets put into this place of power and God doesn't take him away from, from the Egyptians. He keeps them there. And we know that because in a way, because there is a prophecy, you know, that, that God told Abraham that his descendants were going to be in a place, a country they don't know. And that is leading up to that prophecy where the people, his people, the descendants are going to be enslaved. But we see Joseph's in this place of power and his life. And you see that he's, he's doing what, you know, he had commanded Pharaoh that needed to be done. And in that time, he also, you know, he gets married. He has two sons and his, you know, what he names them, Ephraim and Manasseh and then the meaning behind them was, um, you know, is, is it, you know, man, um, the firstborn Manasseh, it, his name, it means it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And the second, you know, Ephraim, he, he, it, his is, it, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So he is, still leaning to the Lord in this situation and continuing to worship him. And I think that's how we should be is that even in our sphere of influence, when we're, you know, standing set apart and the Lord, you know, continues to give us more responsibility, you know, whatever it may be, you know, leading in, in worship, leading in, you know, even, you know, being promoted in your own job, you know, we still have to continue to have that relationship with him and continue to give him the praise. And so we see this and we see the family, famine comes and it's a really bad famine. And he ends up, um, You know, and so all the people are coming and Joseph is starting to sell, you know, grain for the people. And Jacob finds out, you know, that there's grain in Egypt. He doesn't know it's his son there. So he sends 10 of the brothers. He keeps Benjamin because he doesn't want to lose Benjamin. He's, you know, gotten very protective. And... 
his brothers go and Joseph, you know, he recognizes his brothers when they come at, you know, wanting to buy grain and, but they don't recognize him. And people are like, I know that there are several people, especially new believers going, there's no way that his brothers could not have recognized him. Well, you got to think about it. He was 17 years old when they sold him off to slavery and he went to a land, a different country. And, you know, he was, you know, even at 17, you're still kind of young looking. And he was, you know, it wasn't until he was 30 years old. So, you know, some of his physical characteristics could have changed. And the way that the Egyptians dressed, he probably was not recognizable because of the the different dress that he took. You know, sometimes you do not recognize somebody instantly, especially if they've changed their hair color, their, you know, if they get tanned skin or the type of makeup that they're wearing or whatever, you know, or, you know, a man could grow a beard and not be recognizable from when he's shaven, when he's clean shaven. So we don't know what Joseph looked like at that point, but we know that his brothers just did not recognize him, but he did. And he knew his brothers and we see that, you know, and people go, oh my gosh, he's so mad at him. You know, because he starts calling them spies. But what I think, you know, he was doing was he was testing them to see if his brothers had changed from when he last saw them. You know, to see if they were remorseful for what they did. And so he tests them by calling them spies and not being remorseful to them. And, um, you know, and we see, you know, he can understand them, but he's using an interpreter, you know, interpreter to make sure that, you know, to keep the, the, the charade on. And we do see as it continues on that his brothers do show remorse. They realize they're like, oh, great. You know, we are getting paybacks for what we did to Joseph. You know, he begged you know, for, you know, mercy and we didn't give that to him. And now it's coming back on us. And he sees that and it says he turns around and he weeps because so that they don't see what's going on. But he's, he's feeling in his heart that his brothers are not what they were once were. And, but he gives them a test. He takes Simeon and says, bring me back, Benjamin. You know, well, he doesn't know it's Benjamin, but he knows it's Benjamin, but he, you know, pretends that it's not. He just says, bring your other brother that's not here and um, I'll give you more grain. And, but he also, he turns around and when they leave and he puts, it's kind of funny. I laugh at this part of the story because, you know, he puts their money back in the grain sacks and they, you know, open them up and realize like when they go to camp and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, they're, they're really thinking, oh my gosh, we are really in trouble now. And, 
it's kind of funny what's happening, you know, when you sit there, you, you just kind of giggle at what's happening. But really, Joseph's just being, you know, giving back their money because he's like, that's my brothers and stuff. And, and I think he wanted to see what they were going to do if they were going to turn around and come. I think, you know, he was seeing if they were going to come back and say, you know, hey, this was in our sacks, you know. So that's the it, it for, you know, Genesis, you know, and I think, you know, as believers, as new believers, we can take that kind of situation, you know, when you're a brand new believer and as you go along in your walk in faith, you know, because a lot of times you, you know, and I know there are people that they have these radical transformations, you know, they go from alcoholism or being a drug addict or being, you know, in, in gangs, you know, some have, you know, been victims of sexual assault, especially with a family member and their lives have changed and they actually, you know, they haven't talked to their old friends. They have not talked to them, you know, from their old life. And at some point, yeah, as believers, we are going to come across people that have hurt us, we're going to come across people from our old life. And I think, you know, in those situations, we have to seek the Lord on how to react and how to treat them. Um, you know, or if we've been the one that have has hurt somebody, you know, I know that there are people that they turn around and, you know, um, you know, and... And they go and a lot, I've read, you know, stories of those who have hurt people, you know, they were mean and, and abusive and they turn around and they have this radical transformation with the Lord and they go back to the people that they've hurt and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You know, and I think as believers, when we, we have, we end up coming across those kind of people that we, you know, that are from our past life and we have to have the the Lord's guidance and the Holy Spirit guiding us how to to treat these people and I the number one thing is kindness you know and being kind but also kind of discerning the situation going has this person changed because I know like there are people you know that I knew back in high school that I was just like I really didn't like them. And then years later, it's like they're a whole different person. They're not the same person that they once were. And it was like, wow, you know, and there were, you know, I've seen people that, you know, I knew from years ago that are, are coming to know Jesus. And I'm like, never in my life would I think they would come to know Jesus, to have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, I, and, and that's how it is, is with time, you know, people do change, you know, as they get older, as they age. And so it's, you know, being kind and just seeing, you know, how they are, how they're going to react. Now, I know, like, when it comes to people that come from past abusive situations and they had to, you know, leave like an abusive spouse you know, in those situations, 
you know, walk with caution because, yeah, you just don't know. They may try to sound rosy and nice. And that's just, you know, especially when you're dealing with people who are, are abusers, you know, emotionally, physically, you know, I know that, that trap they try to, that are, that is set up is they're mean. And when the person leaves, they, they feel remorseful. You just have to be careful, especially if you get away and you've been gone for a long time, just walk with caution in that situation still be kind but yeah you do need to have that wall up of caution until you know for sure and the lord will will protect you but you have to you know still be cautious and say you know and i i do advise that because you know i know there are people they do have restraining orders on these people protection orders and Generally, most of the time in those situations, if there's still a protection order, you know, they better be leaving the building. You know, somebody better be leaving the building because, yeah, that is the law. Don't, don't try to get them in trouble, you know, with the law. But, you know, I just think, you know, in those situations, like, it's going to happen and you have to let the Lord guide you. And I know... You know, there are situations where somebody, you know, I've seen stories of, of people that they were abusive to, to their ex-spouses, their spouses left and, you know, they get a divorce and later on that the abuser gets, you know, saved by the Lord. And a lot of times, and I've seen stories where they've, they've gone back to those that they've hurt and, you know, they don't get remarried, but they... There's still that they, you know, hurts are mended. There's forgiveness. A lot of times friendships are, are born out of it still. And, you know, especially if there was children involved, they work together to be parents. And, you know, you just have to, you know, not everybody, you know, the Lord doesn't want anybody to fall or perish. But, you know, in those situations, we just... You know, you have to let the Lord guide you in wisdom and discernment in those kind of situations, especially when it deals with somebody that did hurt you and and all of that. Just allow the Lord to guide you, you know, still, still be kind, but also let the Lord guide you. And if the Holy Spirit is telling you that it's not safe, then yeah, get out of the situation. So, um... That's pretty much it for Genesis. We're going to go into Psalms. The next one is Psalm 15. And I like Psalm 15. It's, you know, it's David. And he's like, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill. And it's just like, You know, it's asking the question, you know, what sort of person experiences God's intimate presence and fellowship? Um, It does imply that we can cause God's, God to withdraw his presence, you know, from our lives through, you know, if we've been acting unrighteous, if, you know, we've not defend, you know, guarded our heart 
you know, I there's a reference to, you know, with the Holy Spirit, it's like a dove. And, you know, you see doves are very skittish. But, and it's, you know, like having a dove on your shoulder and you just keep offending it and it will fly away. And, um, you know, and you see he lists, you know, he whose walk is blameless and does what is righteous, you know, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue. And it's like, so, you know, we, you know, we shouldn't act unrighteous, you know, and, you know, we need to learn to speak the truth, you know, and, you know, from our heart, you know, and, you know, guarding our heart about what comes in, you know, through entertainment, through music, um, what we read, I mean, what we watch, whatever's coming in is going to eventually come out of our heart. And if we're seeking, like reading God's word, listening to worship music and, you know, reading stuff that, you know, is innocent and promote, you know, especially things that promote truth, you know, that promote good things, you know, it's going to come out, you know, and in truth and love and you know, it says has no slander on his tongue and it's hard, you know, because these days, you know, like, you know, gossip is so prevalent, you know, and our mouth is the hardest thing to control. Our tongue is the hardest thing to control. And you have to learn to not slander people. You have to learn not to gossip and you know, you have to think about it, you know, and it's, you know, it goes back to, you know, the, like, I think about the movie Bambi, and there's Thumper, and Thumper says, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all, so it's like, you know, if you don't have something nice to say about somebody, and it's considered gossip, and you're trying to you know, malign this person, it's like, you know, you shouldn't say anything. And it says also, who does his neighbor no wrong and cast no slur on his fellow man? It's like, you know, we have to be careful. And it, you know, neighbor is a broad term because Jesus does talk about who is my neighbor. And it's a parable especially in a parable in the book of Luke and you know our neighbor can be just anybody and our neighbor could even be our own enemy and it's learning not to do them harm you know but to love them you know as the Lord loves us and we are to show the same kind of love to to our neighbors and we're not to cast no slur on our fellow man, especially in the church. You know, yes, it's hard, you know, because you're dealing with people in the body of Christ. People that are still not perfect, 
you know, and every, you know, there's different types of personalities out there and some personalities clash and it's easy to just slur and, and malign them and gossip about them, but that's not what you should do. You need to look and go, you know, look for the good in the person and how God made them and see them through his eyes and, and all of that. Um, and it says, who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord. And it's, you know, as new believers, we, and especially believers, it's like, we have to learn. And I think it's like, you know, especially when we're guarding our heart, you know, and we're turning away from things of the old, like old entertainment, old, like TV shows, um, movies, old music that we used to listen to, books that we used to read and enjoy, you know, when you start to guard your heart, you know, it's when you see somebody doing such vile things, when they're, you know, it, it, it disgusts you, but it also makes you mourn because you know who is controlling that person, that it's the enemy. Um, which is Satan, you know, and so it's something that comes along with time that you start despising things, you know, like I just, I can't listen to rock anymore. It's like, I can't listen to rock music anymore because it, I can sense the demonic stuff in it. I can sense hatred and anger in, in rock music a lot of times and, I just can't listen to it without going like, no, <laughs> no way. And I just turn away from it. And, you know, I can't even hardly, I was in Mr. D's and they had country music going on and I just can't, I can't stand country either because it's just like a lot of country music songs promote breaking up and divorce and and adultery and a lot of things like that. If you start listening to a lot of li uh, lyrics, it also promotes drinking and a lot of lyrics. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> it's like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So, and it says, but honors those the, who fear the Lord, you know, it's learning to honor your brother and sister in Christ. It's learning to honor your your spouse that's following the Lord, being the biggest cheerleader, you know, honoring your pastor, honoring, you know, your elders and your deacons. And honor, you know, honoring especially those in leadership, you know, government leadership um, that are honoring and fearing the Lord, you know. And then he continues on, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, you know, and that really hits because, you know, it's, it's keeping an oath. Like, a, for example, you know, you get, when you get married, you take vows that you're going to love, you know, this person, you know, for richer or poorer and sickness and in health. And you're, you take these vows and you're, you have to do it. You have to do it. Even when it hurts, even when the person is sick, even when the person 
Because, you know, when you start off in marriage, you're all lovey-dovey and it's all romance. And then life starts hitting and you start realizing this person's not perfect. And there's a thing, you know, as I learned, there's an appreciation room and then the depreciation room. And we tend to de depreciate our, our our spouses. You know, we sit in that room a lot. And that's what causes a lot of marriages to be destroyed. Because, you know, we come through, you know, there's, you know, selfishness starts to come in. We start seeing the flaws and wishing to change it, that they would change. And um, just wishing a lot of things. And that they would change. And it's like, it's, you know, you can get stuck in that room and forget the vows that you made. And you just, you know, when you're, especially when you're in marriage like that, you have, you know, especially as a new believer and your spouse is not following the Lord. It's like, you still have to love that person unconditionally. You know, the Lord wants you to love that person unconditionally. You know, and, you know, the Lord has spoken to my heart in that area, you know, where, you know, where I, you know, like my, he, you know, was speaking to me about my husband one time. I was just like, I, I was just so frustrated and, you know, I was just frustrated one time and the Lord just said, you know, he, he is a human being like you are and he, he struggles like you do, and, you know, you just have to pray for them and love them unconditionally, like I have loved you unconditionally, and so it really woke me up, and so it's kind of like that, we have to, you know, love and keep our oaths and keep our vows, especially in marriage, even when it hurts, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and I just tell, you know, as I've learned in marriage that, you know, when you, you don't ignore that the person has problems, like your spouse has problems, you know, you realize it, but like, like I like to do is, okay, I realize it and I, I go to the Lord and I pray to the Lord and I say, you know, okay, if you want us to talk about this, you got to open up the door, but you know, I can trust that you can just convict this person about it and change this person about that. And, you know, about 90% of the time, he ends up almost like actually 99% of the time, you know, the person, you know, ends up changing because the Lord convicts them. And then, you know, there's that 1% chance that the Lord opens up that conversation. <laughs> In, in our marriage. And so there's that. And then. And it says. Who lends his money without usury. And does not accept a bribe against the innocent. And what it is. Is you know giving. You know and just giving. Without asking anything in return. You know. Having a giving heart. And not asking for return. Not asking for reward. Um, just having this giving heart and it doesn't have to be money. It's like giving time, giving resources, you know, that's something that, you know, the Lord is going, 
you know, loves, you know, and, you know, he rewards for things like that when you, especially if you're just, you know, you're doing it because you, you love doing it. You love to give, you have this heart to give. And there are people that are just givers. They love to give and they don't seek anything in return. And, you know, they go, you know, my treasures in heaven with the Lord. That's their attitude about it. And then does not accept a bribe against the innocent. It's pretty much, you know, being honest, having integrity in our lives. And it says, he who does these things will never be shaken. And it's like, it's like, yeah, you know, we will never be shaken, especially when we're doing this and allowing the Holy Spirit and Jesus just to do these things through, through us. You know, we're not going to be shaken. And so now we're going to jump to Matthew. So this episode is with Matthew is just the daily reading. Um, so it's jumping over through a lot of chapter 13 and we're ending, you know, we're, you know, going past the parables because this, the next episode that I'm going to do is what we're going to call a bonus episode because I feel like the parables deserve their own episode because it's a huge thing to understand the parables. So we're jumping ahead to verse 30, 53 in um, Matthew. And what it is, um, what we saw in our daily reading today is pretty much at the beginning, you start seeing, because when Jesus is, he starts off, especially when he starts off in Galilee, um, when he's, you know, his actual ministry actually started in Judea and I think we'll we'll try to talk about the life of Christ in future future time kind of put it all together. But what is happening at this point is at the beginning Jesus is, you know, received. There's this curiosity, you know, some miracles are are being performed. He doesn't really come across opposition as much at the beginning, but it starts building. And what is happening is, and it's got to deal like with, as he's talking about the kingdom of, of heaven and it's starting to clash with what the Jewish people had in mind. And for, for a Messiah, they had a Messiah that they wanted to overthrow Rome and he was not promoting that. And so what ends up happening here is he ends up going back to his hometown and, you know, people start taking offense and he can't do miracles. You start seeing, and then you get to John the Baptist. John the Baptist ends up getting executed, which means it's kind of a big slap in the face to God. It's at this point, it's, the rejection is starting to happen towards, towards Jesus, towards what, you know, there's a lot of rejection going to happen at this point. You're starting to see opposition towards Jesus at this point, because especially in Galilee, um, 
it's starting to increase. And um, it's pretty much at this point that he's he's come across his opposition. They're starting to reject the message that Jesus is preaching. And um, and after John the Baptist is killed, we see Jesus. He withdraws after hearing that you know to be alone. But you see this crowd that follows him and we see this interesting, you know, reaction, you know, I think Jesus at, at this point was probably grieving for John. I think he, you know, I think he grieved for John because, you know, he knew John had, had been killed because, you know, he, of, of the faith, but, you know, he, I think he was like, I want to be alone and, you know, as, and, you know, as a, as a human being, when I want to be alone and all of a sudden there's people around me, it's like irritation happens because it's like, I want to be alone, but Jesus, he has compassion on them and he starts praying over them, healing over their sick. And you just see these people coming in and, you know, I feel like as we become believers, you know, we do have to have that alone time, especially alone time with God. You know, you have to have that prayer time, that worship time, the devotion time. And like what I like to do is I like to put my phone on do not disturb because I don't want to be distracted while I am working or well, not working, but reading and all of that. I do put it on do not disturb when I'm doing po- podcasts too as well. Um, what it is, is you know, and I think as believers, though, when you have people, especially lost people that are starting to come up to you or, you know, as as you become a seasoned believer, you know, and you've had years, you're going to have younger believers coming up and asking you questions and, you know, you have or even unbelievers coming and asking you questions about your faith. It can be, you know, the enemy could creep in on you and make you feel like, you know, or make you irritated because you want a long time. But sometimes it's like, you know, you have to learn to show compassion, especially when they are hungering for the Lord. You see, especially a hunger for the Lord, hungering for what is good and righteous. And, you know, you have to kind of set your personal (laughs) preferences aside and so you see that he has compassion and we actually this story Jesus feeds the 5,000 the 5,000 shows up in all four gospels it's one of those stories that shows up in all four gospels which means it's pretty important um you know the significance of this miracle is that, you know, it's pointing to Jesus as the bread of life and that he's the one that provides for both body and soul. And it was a pers- persuasive testimony of Jesus's power to perform miracles. It's also an example of Jesus's compassion for needy people. It teaches that the little 
we have can be made into much if put into the Lord's hand and healed or blessed. And so, you know, that's a huge miracle that ends up happening. And, you know, and not like, yeah, you know, as a brand new believer, you know, and as you walk in your faith with the Lord, you know, the Lord entrusts you with a little bit. And as you're obedient, as you're faithful, it, it starts increasing. It starts multiplying because you get entrusted with more. And so um, that's pretty much it for today, for this daily reading episode. And so for the next daily reading episode, read Genesis 42, 20. In chapter 42, verses 29 through chapter 44, verse 17. Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11. Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. And Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 26. So, I'm going to... That is for a daily reading. The next episode is what's going to be called a bonus podcast. And we're going to talk about the parables. So I'm going to end us off in a prayer. And so, Lord, I just thank you, God, for for coming on the cross, Lord. And Lord, I just thank you, God, that even though that people were rejecting you, even though that they were continuing to sin, you still died on the cross for us. We thank you, Lord, that that even though the wages of sin is death, we have eternal life in, Je- in Jesus Christ, Lord. And I just thank you for the life that you've given us. And that, Lord, I thank you, God, that, Lord, with what little we have, Lord, you you turn and multiply it, Lord God. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you can perform miracles. That, Lord, we just thank you that that you have such compassion and you have mercy, Lord. We just thank you for this word that just, teaches us, Lord, of your love and your compassion and your mercy. And that, Lord, I just pray, God, that today, Lord, I pray that we would just begin to follow Psalm 15 in our lives, Lord God, and that you would just allow us to change how we talk, how we treat others, Lord, and how we treat our spouses, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just help us to be set apart, O oh Lord Jesus, and that even though we live in a secular world, world, Lord God, that we would just allow you to transform us, that it would just be light and salt to, to the people around us in our sphere of influence, Lord Jesus, and that, Lord, that the, these people would begin to hunger and to know who we are, Lord Jesus, to understand our faith, our beliefs, Lord Jesus, and I just pray that you begin to open up doors for for us to share our faith, oh Lord Jesus. And we just thank you for all that you're doing and continue to do in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm.